Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that's like a pancake, beaten, battered, flipped, fried, grilled, and sometimes syrupy sweet. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, sitting here in the comfortable confines of my home office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And on tonight's show, hey, we're going into uh, the 17th century. Uh, the 17th century, the history of tobacco, yes, the great age of the pipe, or so it's titled. And my guest tonight is Steve Norse. Steve owns Vermont Freehand. I spent an entire hour and a half going through his website earlier today just to get all my notes together. Hope we can get through everything with Steve. Uh, music. I'm in a Jethro Tull kind of mood, so that's what uh, that's what we all get. Uh, mailbag and selfie stick rant coming up all tonight on this episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, hey, is it just me or uh, anybody else been in kind of a funk the last, I don't know, four or five days? Uh, it seems like it's just been just kind of a weird four or five days. Maybe it's because last year at this time we were on a cruise and uh, this year I'm not. Or, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just the, uh, the the long days of summer ahead of us and getting ready for the trade show and a lot going on and knowing that, you know, eh, about the only real vacation I've got coming up is about uh, three days. You know, three days going to, uh, oh, Disney World. Yeah. Hey, got Disney back into the show again. Uh, anybody got uh, got vacation plans for the summer? Let me know where you're going. Take a picture of you and your pipe while you're there and uh, put them on the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show's Facebook page. We'll check them all out. All right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best... You're looking for CupOfJoes.com. CupOfJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupOfJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. Check out their remodeled website at CupOfJoes.com and be sure to like them on Facebook, CupOfJoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. Hey, how you doing? I sliced along here. Don't be stupid and tune into some other radio show to tell you about tobacco and smoke this and smoke that. Uh, talk to the Pipes Tobacco Radio Show. What is it called again? Pipes Magazine. Radio. Pipes Magazine Radio Show. That's what I listen to all the time, but I just can't remember it. That's all. Welcome back. I uh, saw a uh, Rocky Marathon was on uh, one of the cable networks over the weekend. Happened to catch about 20 minutes of it, so that was kind of fun. All right, the uh, from again from tobacco.org, the history of tobacco, and they title the 17th century as the Great Age of the Pipe. Uh, and to quote Daniel Webster, when tillage begins, other arts follow. The farmers, therefore, are the founders of human civilization. 
In the uh, 17th century, tobacco comes into use as country money or country pay in the colonies. Tobacco continues to be used as a monetary standard, literally a cash crop, throughout the 17th and 18th centuries, lasting twice as long as the gold standard. So I used to think there was gold in them thar hills. No, there's gold in them thar leaves, apparently in the colonies in the uh, 17th century. Uh, But anyway, going through some dates, and I'll kind of ramble through these kind of quick. 1600 in England, Sir Walter Raleigh. Yeah, the one and only. Sir Walter Raleigh persuades Queen Elizabeth to try smoking. In 1603, physicians, upset that tobacco is being used by people without a physician's prescription, complain to King James I. In uh, 1604, the same King King James I increases import tax on tobacco 4,000%, from uh, 2 pence a pound to 6 shillings 10 pence a pound. It's a massive 4,000% tax increase. Uh, It says here that His Majesty seems, however, to have advanced very substantial reasons for the virtual prohibition of tobacco. For if in any circumstance can justify what are termed strong measures on the part of a government, certainly the wanton luxury and debauchery of its people must be amongst the best apologies for a stretch of power, which might in other respects have been a deed arbitrary and unbecoming a British monarch. <laughs> so there you go, taxes and uh, power. Uh, in 1606 in Spain, King Philip III decrees that tobacco may only be grown in specific locations, including Cuba, Santa Domingo, Venezuela, and Puerto Rico. Sale of tobacco to foreigners is punishable by death. In 1612 in China, an imperial edict forbidding the planting and use of tobacco. In 1612 in Jamestown, hey, happy day. Uh, John Rolfe raises Virginia's first commercial crop of tall tobacco. Uh, 1613 to 1689 Russia, there's a tobacco prohibition under the early Romanovs. In uh, 1614, John Rolfe fresh off of his new tall crop of tobacco, and Rebecca, better known as Pocahontas, are married. Uh, Right about then, in uh, England, the first shipment of Rolf's tobacco arrives. In uh, 1614, the first sale of native Virginia tobacco in England, obviously. Uh, Virginia, the Virginia colony enters world tobacco market under English protection. In 1614, King James makes the import of tobacco a royal monopoly available for a yearly fee of 14000 So King James is all about uh, the royal purse. Uh, In 1614, Nepathies, or The Virtues of Tobacco by William Barclay in Edinburgh, touts tobacco's medicinal qualities and recommends exclusively tobacco of American origin. Uh, England, right about then, the first tobacco vending machine invented. It was called the Honor Box. Allows a user to deposit a penny to open the lid of a small box and scoop out a pipeful of tobacco. So, a penny for your thoughts and a penny for a penny for a bowlful of tobacco. Um, here's a little bit of a harsh, uh, harsh thing. In 1617, in Mongolia, the emperor places death penalty on using tobacco. So he was serious. No tobacco use in Mongolia. Um, In 1619, tobacco is being used as currency. It will continue to be be so used for 200 years in Virginia, for 150 years in Maryland, adjusting to the vagaries of shifting values and varying qualities. Uh, Jamestown in 1619. Here's another one for you. Hold on to your seats. Uh, The first shipment of women meant to become wives for the settlers arrive a prospective husband must pay for his chosen chosen mate's passage with 120 pounds of tobacco <laughs> 120 pounds of tobacco for a wife that's about a pound for a pound uh 1620 in spain the world's first tobacco processing plant is constructed in seville in uh, 1624 
Pope Urban VIII threatens excommunication for snuff users. Sneezing is thought too close to sexual ecstasy. <laughs> if that were only true, I'd sneeze many times a day. Um, in 1624, New York City is born. The town of New Amsterdam was established on Lower Manhattan. At this time, what is now Greenwich Village is an Indian village known to Native Americans as uh, Sapon Canacan, which means tobacco fields or land where tobacco grows. Uh, the, uh, iconog- the, iconog- the iconography of Manhattan Island uh, according to a map in Hamburger, uh, historical atlas, uh, the Dutch continued to uh, the Dutch continued the the tradition in the 17th century. Tobacco farms lined both sides of what is now Christopher Street. So if you're in Manhattan, you used to grow tobacco right there on Christopher Street. Now I don't even know if you can grow a tree. Uh, 1632, just a few more. Smoke-free Massachusetts. Massachusetts forbids public smoking. And not to be left behind, New York City in 1639, Governor Kieft banned smoking in New Amsterdam, although they were still growing tobacco there. Uh, 1647, here's another one for you. Regulation in Turkey. Yeah. Tobacco ban is lifted by Murad IV's successor, Ibrahim the Mad. Uh writes that tobacco has now joined coffee, wine, and opium as one of the four cushions on the sofa of pleasure. And we'll end it on that one because that would explain why my sofa only has three cushions on it. I'll let you guess which one I'm missing. All right, in just a minute, Steve Norse will be on the phone with me. Craftsmanship. History. Tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And joining me on the telephone from the great state of Vermont is uh, Steve Norse, owner of Vermont Freehand. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. So we got a lot to get through with you because you're involved in every aspect of this. And for people that don't know you, everybody get your pens and papers out and start Start getting ready to take notes, because there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, Steve, first of all, where did you grow up, and how did you get into the uh, into the pipe world? I grew up in Manchester, Vermont, small town of a few thousand people. Um, I got into pipe making about 2005. Uh, my friend Mike Ouellette that I was painting with knew I was raised as a furniture maker, and it hounded me to make some pipes. So eventually I made some and became addicted to it and (laughs) still making them today. 
Now, do you actually, do you smoke a pipe as well? Yes. And and did you smoke a pipe before you made one, or did, did he just hound you and you decided to make one? Uh, he hounded me, I made one, and then I smoked it. So, so the first pipe you ever smoked was one you made yourself. You didn't go through the usual routine yeah. of going to the drugstore, getting a cheap pipe, and trying a uh, trying a, a bad aromatic tobacco. Correct. First one was my own. Now, did you have anybody help you in how to do it, or how did how did you learn what part of the pipe goes where and get started doing it? Well, like most people, I went ahead and grabbed my chemo book and one of their pipe kits. Uh, luckily, they're in the same town that I grew up in. Um, so I went ahead and read read over the book and then took the block of briar and tried to take away everything that didn't look like a pipe. <laughs> were you uh, were you nervous about taking away too much at, at, at the start? Well, I was trying to keep symmetry going. So my first pipe ended up very thin, very small. Uh, my second pipe ended up very chunky and large. <laughs> so it varied. Uh, but were they were they smokable, and did they smoke okay for you? Yes, they did. Did you actually? So did you ever get to get a chance to work with a pipe maker before or any time during the process of learning? Nope, not at all. Um, I knew all the machinery very well, being a furniture maker and using a little bit of everything. I uh, did a lot of woodworking my whole life. So the machinery end of it just came second nature. Um, and I have a pretty good eye for taking away the excess wood and getting what I'm looking for. And, and being in Vermont all your life, there's a lot of wood around you to look at, too. Oh, yeah, there is. Now, how did Vermont Freehand come about? Well, the name all started way back when I had an eBay account, which I do still have. And I uh, loved making freehands when I began pipe making. I didn't do a lot of traditional shapes, only did a few. Um, but the first ones were a lot of freehands. So I just had the eBay username, Vermont Freehand, and Ever since then, it sort of stuck. And once once you use a name, you don't you don't want to go back in and change it. So that's the name I use. And the website is also named VermontFreehand.com. So it's real easy. You you have the store and the name, and uh, that and few people know your actual real name. Uh, when did you start getting into uh, into supplies and offering? supplies for sale i started in about oh geez 2005 and it was sort of a little side project for me i had a couple other jobs going on at the same time and it picked up quite at a quite a good pace and by 2008 got to be a little bit too much um, at that time i chose to focus on my furniture making and a painting business uh, so I took a little break from 2008 till about 2012, and then started back in full-time in 2012 after a back injury, and could no longer do the furniture making or the painting. So I've been doing it full tilt ever since. Now, you supply everything that a pipe maker would need to make pipes except for the, except for some of the heavy machinery? Correct. For now, uh, we have a very, very wide selection of almost all the supplies you would need, um, with many new things coming in every month, and hopefully within a few years we'll even have some motors and everything you could need. So what does a pipe maker or a, an aspiring pipe maker need to, to really get started? Well, all it really takes for a first-time pipe maker, it's all based on what they have for tool. If someone does not have much machinery, uh, a coping saw is very good for quick work of taking away the excess wood. Then using rasps and files to do your finished shaping 
and then just some sandpaper to true things up, polish it. And that's really all you need to get started if you're using pipe kits. Once you get in drilling your own block, you'll need an array of drill bits. Uh, there are some affordable versions, and then there's some fancy high-end versions. So there's a whole range of different options based on one skill set and tool availability. Now, just just talking about the drill bits, those are the drill bits that you're talking about are both for drilling the shank and the uh, drilling the draft hole, the mortise, and the tobacco chamber, correct? Yes. Yep. And, and then when you get into the into the drill bits for the tobacco chamber, this is where I know absolutely nothing. So there's all kinds of options that I would love for you to talk us through and explain the the different parts of the bits. Yeah, most people start out with a spade bit. Uh, a spade bit is a paddle bit with gr a ground round tip on it. Um, it's the economical way to drill a hole, and it's also used by a lot of pro makers too. Uh, using that method, it's the drill first, shake second method, where you drill the block and then you shape it. Some of the high-end makers are shaping first and then drill. And they drill with pilot holes and then a spoon bit, which is sort of your high-end drill bit. Um, so it's a just, there's two different ways of approaching. Uh, some things work better for some people than work for others. So there's no right or wrong way in any process of pipe making. It's finding out what works for you. I'm I'm looking on the website and just the the starter set of five of the spade bits. It's five drill bits for seventy dollars, and a and a pipe maker needs the five different ones for the different diameter of the tobacco chamber. So they can't just start off with one unless unless I guess they want to make one pipe or one tobacco chamber size. Well, a lot of people will start off with one. Uh, they'll use a three-quarter or a 13 sixteenths are the most popular sizes. So some people will start off with just one, and then as they feel the need for another bit, they'll get other sizes. And then you're you're talking about a big jump up to the to the spoon bits, which start out around ninety-five to a hundred dollars just for just for the one bit. Yeah, those are custom machined down to very specific tolerances. How? So that's not something that's made by a machine. That's something that's made by a human and very carefully made. <laughs> and the and these drill bits will last the they'll last a pipe maker a good long time. Yes, all the drill bits are sharpenable. So it you if you use the drill bit properly. You shouldn't need to sharpen it for a very long time. Uh, once you do need to, it's fairly easy to sharpen it. And I've talked on the show in the past about the different shape of a tobacco chamber, whether it be like a, a rounded bottom or more of a conical shape. Uh, the drill bits also come in different shapes to help facilitate that. So, then you've got a, is that a duplication of bits that a, that a pipe maker would need? Some people prefer uh, tapered walls for a certain kind of pipe, or for some people, say, one smokes better with a certain tobacco than another. So there's a lot of different schools of thought. And within the um, speed bits, the more economical bits, those are just uh, rounded tips, basic bits. Up in the spoon bits, you will have options of conical walls, standard walls, parabolic walls, and then the actual tip itself. You can either have a round tip or a parabolic tip. Wow, so when we're when we're looking at somebody and thinking they're just taking a piece of wood and putting it together, I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into it, uh, as well as all the different sanding discs that are, that are available, and that, uh, I would imagine those get pretty pricey as well. Yes, they can. There are some economical versions to get people started. People who want more long-lasting piece that they're going to be using a lot will opt for finding some high-end ones. So 
we try to carry a little bit of everything and every month new more new things well, we're going to take a break right here when we come back we're going to talk about uh, wood and different kinds of materials so stay with us we're going to be uh, learning a whole lot more we'll be back in just a minute Don't try to fool us. We know something is getting you down. The world. The job. Your wife. The rotten kids. What you need is a break that is guaranteed to boost your spirits. And the West Coast Pipe Show in Las Vegas provides that break every year. Get off the plane. Look at those garish neon lights on Las Vegas Boulevard and start smiling. Then, come to the Palace Station Hotel for a two-day, non-stop spirit-lifting immersion in your favorite hobby. Pipes. Nothing but pipes. Smoke on the showroom floor. Gamble, or gamble with those great friends you see all too infrequently. When you get home, only a little bit poorer. And why shouldn't the kids go to the local JC instead of being spoiled by that expensive university? You will be so much happier to see the wife and the kids. Unfortunately, we can't help with the job situation. November 6th and 7th, 2015, Las Vegas, Nevada. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes. I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Steve, and if you think the website's extensive, you should have seen it all when he brought a whole bunch of supplies to uh, to the Chicago Pipe Show and filled up a whole room full of stuff. Uh, but let, let's get into the actual briar and the other, the other bowl materials that you have, because uh, it's just extensive. You've got, uh, go through and tell us the different kinds of briar alone that you have. Right now, we have a handful of different kinds of brine. We have a few different origins and then different options within each one. Uh, we have Algerian briar, uh, Italian briar from Mimo. We have some 10 to 20 year old plateaus from Greece. We also have some 50 year old abortions from Greece. Uh, and we also have some Italian plateau from Mano. So we try to carry a little bit of everything. Some people favor one mill over another or one country over another. Uh, in the scheme of things, the majority of the mills actually buy briar pearls from all sorts of countries around the Mediterranean Sea and process them. A lot of people think when they order Italian briar that that briar grew in Italy where actually it could have grown really anywhere around the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, the only country I order from that does not do that is Algeria. 100% of that briar is from Algeria. Is, is Algeria relatively tough to, tough to deal with for getting product out of? Not really. It's just any country is as easy as the next. Uh, I use custom brokers. I give them all the information in one email and they make sure it gets to my house safely. So it's actually fairly easy to import from any country and I import from many, many countries. Yeah, because that was three or four countries right there and we're just talking about Briar now. Uh, 
Can you tell the difference just by looking at the blocks of wood of what the origin is? Not necessarily, but it would be easier to tell who the cutter was. I can usually look at a briar block that has not been sanded yet and tell where it came from. And is is that because of the different techniques that the cutter uses for curing and for cut yeah. cut shi- uh, cut size? I can't say it. There we go. Yeah, everything from sizing right down to the dryness, the way to prepare the outside of the burl, uh, and then just the tolerances that each of them use and how they cut around the grain lines to utilize the best block. Every cutter is different. What is, just for our listeners so that they understand, uh, what is the least expensive block that we can buy from you and what is the most expensive? Uh, Currently, I do have for a pipe grade block, the cheapest one is $5. And that'll be a block a couple inches high, a few inches long, uh, inch and three-quarter wide. And I also have reject blocks that have pits or cracks that are very small and tiny that I sell for $2.50. Those are commonly used for people to get the hang of drilling, shaping, sort of practice blocks. And then the blocks can go all the way up to about $45 uh, for more of the high-grade plateaus. So that's $45 for one block of wood that might that will more than likely yield one really nice-looking pipe. Yes. And that block could stand the chance of having a pit inside it, just like any block a briar does. Just because something is a higher grade doesn't mean it's not going to have pits. Uh, It's a natural burl that grows in the ground. And since none of us have x-ray vision, we can only judge by the outside of the block. And when you're... Uh, when you're grading, I guess the the cutter is the one that's grading the blocks, but are are they doing it based off of size and grain density? Yes, different cutters may vary a little bit, uh, but basically that's it. So some of the uh, the grain density of the upper grades will be very tight grain lines, and then the lower grades will have a little bit looser grain. Um, with Nemo Briar, he has more pips in his grade 3 than he does in his grade 2 or his grade 1 because he will also use the pits and figure that into the grading, which some other mills do not do. That's just, There's a whole bunch of detail in there, and that's all before it even becomes a pipe. Let's yeah. go on to the the other ones, the, the other materials that you supply, and the one that got me that that made made me jump out and look at it was meerschaum. I mean, you actually have blocks of meerschaum from uh, that you occasionally get out of Turkey. Yes, every once in a while we happen to come across a small batch of uh, authentic block meerschaum from directly from Turkey. It's one, it's the hardest material to get a hold of, yeah. uh, but there are ways of obtaining some from time to time. Usually when we do get them, they sell out rather quickly, and they're rather expensive blocks. And that's all because the Turkish government tries to keep the unfinished material in the country so that it gets finished and sold from a Turkish supplier. Yes, correct. Now the other uh, the other woods, morta and olive wood, uh, where I mean that morta just fascinates me because it's I mean it's bog oak and the, it, you got to uh, where do you find it? Bog oak it can be found in various countries. It can be found in Ireland, um, the UK, Ukraine, Russia. There's a few places it comes from. I only use the Ukrainian bog oak. I've got a mill over there that does a very good drying process. So the blocks are never cracked. And they carbon date the material, and it comes out to be approximately 5,500 years old. 
and it's actually it takes you know five thousand years for oak submerged in peat bogs to actually turn black due to the lack of oxygen and the lack of sunlight. And on the website is a video of the of of them milling the bog oak. Uh, does Morta have a, a a special odor to it when you're when you're play, when you're working with it? Yes, it does. It has. It doesn't smell like regular oak wood. It has more of an earthy smell to it. Yeah. It's not a disgusting smell, but it's not a pleasant smell. <laughs> it, it, it's not quite as bad as me after two days with not having a shower, but it's uh, getting there if you wait a little longer. Yep. <laughs> um, olive wood, of course, is from the olive tree. Yes, that's from the olive tree, and we get that from Italy. Yeah, and we've had we've had some discussions on on previous shows about the uh, taste characteristics of olive wood. To me, it's just a beautifully grained piece of wood that makes some uh, makes some incredible looking pipes. Yeah, with olive wood, uh, some people do bowl coatings, so you don't really get a lot of taste when you're breaking it in. Uh, regardless of wood, once it is caked up, either with natural cake or uh, bowl coating, you will, after a certain amount of bowls, you're not even going to taste it anymore. Uh, and then it'll be a nice, clean, smoking pipe. Yeah. And what a lot of people uh, should do, what everybody should do, with a linear-grained wood when they are breaking in a pipe, whether it be olive wood, mortar, or if they have some other linear-grained wood, is to very, very slowly break it in and be very gentle with it. Uh, the fact that there's grain lines running linearly that sometimes have more open pores, especially with the mortar, you have actual moisture and heat transfer is a much higher rate than you would have with like a briar burl, which you don't have open grains with. You know, I never, I never thought about that because the the burl from briar is actually the root, and it's designed to capture water and send it out into the burl. And we're playing around with those dense grains when we're when we're making a pipe, but olive wood and and morta are from the actual branch in the trunk, which are designed to send water up. Correct. Yeah. So that okay. And now the part that I think most of most of my listeners are going to be excited about is um, you sell pipe kits. And uh, yeah, what is a pipe kit? A pipe kit is a block that has all the holes pre-drilled with a stem fit, and all that's left is for the customer to carve a pipe. And that takes away the step of having to figure out the engineering behind precisely drilling to have the hole alignment within certain tolerances. And it's one of those things that can be hard when you're learning, um, so when people you you know buy a pipe kit, our machinery is already set up to tolerances. I have one machine designated just for making pipe kits. So we offer beginner kits for twenty dollars, choice of a Bosch or plateau that comes with a stem, and then we also do custom kits where you can pick almost any block that I sell, and I will drill it up into a pipe kit. Now, I do not do some of the high-end Nemo wood into pipe kits because the high-end wood is rather rare. And I like to save that around for the better, more experienced carvers. But a uh, beginner can also buy the high-end wood if they want to drill their own. Uh, now, we've talked about the blocks of wood. We've talked about the different kinds of wood that you have. You've got stem materials and all kinds of shank adornments and everything that a pipe maker actually needs to finish off a pipe um, is there also do you also sell the sell vulcanite stem plugs 
I sell the vulcanite pre-made stems. Okay. Yeah, so if somebody wants to recreate an old English-style pipe, they can they can do the vulcanite, or you've got the high-grade ebonite, too. Yeah, and the vulcanite pre-made stems, we carry in about 176 different styles. The <laughs> uh, ebonite rods we have in probably about 40 different categories. We have the high-end German, and then we also have a more uh, economy-grade Japanese. The Japanese is about half the cost of the German, and is great material to get the hang of working with ebonite. Though there are a lot of pros who are using the Japanese since it's a better quality material than it was a few years ago. I mean, so it's a little bit softer than the German, so you have to be a little bit more gentle polishing, and you've got to be able to have the patience and the extra time to make it shine. Uh, once it does shine, it looks just like the German. So what what impresses me the most, and this is coming from my simplistic salesman, pipe smoker point of view, is you've got a massive inventory of product coming from all around the world, up to you in Vermont, and then you're sending it out all around the world to pipe makers from Vermont. <laughs> yeah. And we've shipped to over a hundred countries now. I, that right there is just amazing. Uh, and you will sell to anybody that goes on your website or calls you up and wants to wants to buy stuff. So if I wanted to make a uh, if I wanted to get a couple of blocks of of plateau briar, and I know not the high grade fancy stuff because I just want to use it as bookends, um, I could. You'd pick out a couple of pieces and ship as little as two pieces? Yeah, I ship as, as little as one piece of Delrin that costs 55 cents. might cost a few dollars shipping, but there's no order too small or too large. We can accommodate almost any size order. Uh, do you, with all this going on, do you get much of, much time to make pipes yourself anymore? I only make about 10 to 12 pipes a year. Um, I also have a lot of other hobbies and side projects going on, so I, I stay very, very busy. <laughs> There's not much free time up in the, uh, is it the White Mountains of Vermont or the Green Mountains? Oh, it's the Green Mountains. Okay. Uh, plus, you've got a friend of ours, uh, Abe Herbaugh, is up there working with you, uh, keeping you busy, too. Yeah, Abe decided to move up here to Vermont. He really liked the area after hiking the trail and uh, chose to move up here. So I found him a place around here, and we actually combined our shops together. Um, I renovated the downstairs of my place and turned it into the ultimate pipe-making studio for two people. <laughs> so that's where we, that's where we spend a lot of time. Well, tell tell Abe I said hello, and uh, and and if he doesn't behave himself, I'll uh, I'll come up there and take care of him for you. <laughs> okay. Steve, we'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. Everybody gets them, and there's no right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure. What is your favorite pipe? One that I made myself. Any uh, any particular shape, or was it a freehand? Um, no, it was a billiard I made, actually. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite tobacco? Um, probably Penman's Choice, because I still like a lot of aromatics. Yeah, that, that's a uh, that's a wonderful choice. It's an all day smoke from from what I've smelled of it. Yeah. Um, when it's time to relax and you actually do get a few minutes to, is it a book? A, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Um, I'll say music, but I don't sit still for five minutes. So. <laughs> and and just to prove that this is live, I goofed it up and I went out of order, but uh, what's your favorite drink? 
My favorite drink would have to be high-end tequila. Any uh, any suggestions for those of us that don't know high-end tequilas? Um, if you use Patron as the bottom of the barrel, you're doing good. And that's just a straight sipping tequila, no salt, no lime, just tequila in a glass. Correct. And the final question, any particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory? Oh, geez, let's see. I get to go see J.T. Cook every few months and go get to have a pipe with him and look over Briar. That's always a fun time. It's good to have him close by. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine it would be fun to go mess around in his dust pile. <laughs> Always good stories exchanged when I make that visit. Nah, none of those fit for air because I know some of them. So we'll we'll just uh, we'll we'll just say uh, make sure and visit Steve's website again. It's VermontFreehand.com. Whole bunch of stuff. I mean, just dig through there and uh, hey, buy yourself a pair of bookends if you have no desire to make a uh, pipe out of them. But there's great stuff, and Steve, we appreciate everything that you're doing for all the pipe makers out there. Thank you very much, Brian, and we appreciate what you do, too. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit Sutliff-Tobacco.com. For information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. Hi, my name is Eileen Sachi from MarketingPipes.com. If you attend the major pipe shows or buy pipes on eBay, chances are you know my dad, Hank Sachi, or eBuyer1932. My dad has been a pipe collector for over three decades and a reseller on eBay for the last 12 years. His new website is MarketingPipes.com. At MarketingPipes.com, you will find high-quality, hand-picked pipes. Carvers, join my dad's vast network of collectors across the globe and let my dad promote your brand. Collectors, consign your pipes at affordable commissions or buy your next collectible pipe at MarketingPipes.com. Thank you. And don't forget, uh, when you look at Steve's website, he's got everything that you need to have to restore pipes, um, except for the actual motor. So, if you want to learn how to clean your own pipes, hey, there you go. Check out Vermont, uh, check out vermontfreehand.com. Alright, for music, again, I said I'm in a little bit of a mood, so I thought we'd go back to, uh, Jethro Tull, and this one's kind of fitting. It's thick as a brick. Really don't mind if you sit this one out My words but a whisper, deafness, a shout I may make you feel that I can't make you think Your sperm's in the gutter, your love's in the sink So you ride sails over the fields And you make all your animal deals And your wise men don't know how it feels To be thick 
as a brick. Castle virtues are all swept away In the tidal destruction, the moral malaise The elastic retreat rings the close of play As the last wave uncovers the new-fangled way But your new shoes are worn at the heels And your sun tends rapidly feel And your wise men don't know how it feels To be thick as a brick And the love that I So far away I'm a bad dream that I just had today And you shake your head You said it's a shame Spin me back down the years and the days of my youth Draw the lace and black curtains and shut out the whole truth Spin me down the long ages, let them sing the song the great Jethro Tull with Ian Anderson and, uh, of course, Ian, a pipe smoker. Uh, Jethro Tull, definitely one of those bands that you got to kind of be in a mood to listen to them. Sweet, merciful crap! And that'll change the mood real quick. All right, in the mailbag, uh, Brad Hochter, better known as Lord of the Pipe Rings, sends me a message on Facebook and it says, American Blend Tobacco is one of the more popular choices among pipe smokers who just want a good tobacco. It doesn't have some of the rich aromatic flavors of other blends, but it does include a lot of sweet elements. Rich flavors and mixtures can be added once the tobacco is cured, which depends on the maker and the style. Burley, Virginia, and Oriental Blends are most commonly known as American Blends. They offer a unique taste and craftsmanship that dates back for many years. These tobaccos were cultivated in areas like Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee, where tobacco farming was popular during the 1800s. Uh, he says, so he quotes that, and then he says, I've never heard of Burley, Virginia, and Oriental blends referred to as American blends. Uh, what saith the Doctor of Pipes? Um, the Doctor of Pipes saith that... Um, that person might be a leading expert on their own opinion. Hey, just like I'm on my own opinion. Um, no, in tra- traditionally, when talking about cigarettes, an American blend has burly in it. And I have a feeling this is talking about burly-based cigarette tobacco. So it'd be a blend of burly and Virginia's and maybe some Orientals. Um, English cigarettes or European style were more Virginia-based, and then there was the Oriental or Turkish style cigarettes that are much more Turkish-based. I know for a fact anytime you see Kentucky, Tennessee, and Ohio mentioned, well, guess what? That's primarily Burley country. So it's probably talking about an American blend of cigarette tobacco. Uh, going back to last week's show, got a lot of nice comments about having John David Cole on. Uh, one of them from Setter's Brace. I've enjoyed the Country Squire podcast, and it was great to hear John David on Brian's show. There's not a lot out there in the way of pipe-specific podcasts, but the two just mentioned are a tough act to follow. We are blessed to have these resources, and I'd encourage anyone new to the hobby to devour the backlogged episodes of both shows. I'll add to that uh, Ole Sylvester's Oompal podcast as well. So there's three of us. That's it. Uh, 
Pipe Smoking Tom writes, big fan. I've tried 10 of the Squire's house blends so far, and there are some real winners in there. Rolling Gentleman writes, it was a great show, first time listening to it, and I'm already a big fan. It was a great interview. Can't wait for the next show. Thank you very much. He's a new member to the forum, so welcome to the forums. Uh, John Seiler writes, John David Cole and the Country Squire are a person and shop that are both new to me. Both John David and the shop sound interesting. Uh, One of the things I notice, and I'll pick on John, is that uh, John's not exactly the youngest person out there listening, although his friend Bill is obviously much older. But there is a, uh, you know, there's a new wave of people, and you do get kind of regionalized. So one of the benefits of this show is you get exposed to a whole bunch of different areas and a whole bunch of new things. Anyway, he goes on to say, uh, I currently do not know a shop that does custom blends, but then again, I've done some of my own blending. John David is obviously a person who knows and loves his tobaccos. You may have to have John David sit in for you sometime when you go on vacation. He would be a hoot. Now what I'd love to do is have him sit in with me, and we could just hang out together. That'd be more fun for me. Uh, Music, Kokomo, Arnold, try some of that was a great suggestion, but I won't try some of that. (laughs) Okay. Rant, I agree, leave the fireworks to the professionals, and if you don't have some respect for your neighbor's concerns, (laughs) if the rest of your summer season... If the rest of you summer season on tobacco and tobacconists, oh, if the rest of your summer season on tobacco and tobacconists are as good as this one, it'll be a great season. Thank you, John. Uh, Casey Ghost Dan writes, sounds like a great idea to go over the history of tobacco. The idea to go to different tobacconists for the summer series is a good one. Look forward to it. John David is a really cool guy, and his teaming with the real bow has real synergy. I've been listening to their podcast for a while now and find them to be very good. We have a really neat cigar and pipe store, but the Country Squire is really neat. Uh, Nomo Kokomo. I'm guessing that's uh, Dan saying no. Uh, I've been involved in a number of amateur fireworks, he writes, uh, that required federal permits, etc. And the general rule of thumb is that the cheaper the fireworks, the more dangerous it is. Fireworks and driving have one thing in common. You can't drink and expect to do it safely. (laughs) Yes, you're correct. As proof of the YouTube video of the guy shooting fireworks off of his head and ended up um, not living anymore. Um, Al S.S. Jones writes, I really enjoyed this show. Nice, short, sweet. Thank you. Anchovy D, or Anchovied, says, I like this guy. John David seems legit and knows what he's talking about. I'm not too far away in Louisiana. Next time I travel through Jackson, I'm going to stop in at the Squire and get a pipe and tobacco from this guy. It's refreshing to hear a down-to-earth guy on the show. A lot of the guests are arrogant and pompous. This guy and the guy who has the massive Venturi, the pipe collection, were the best. Bring on more like them. Yeah, so it kind of got me thinking. Um, I, you know, I realize a lot of the people that we, uh, a lot of the people that we have on here, a lot of the pipe makers, most of us will never own one of their pipes. Most of us will never have uh, the opportunity or the desire to spend a whole ton of money on vintage tobaccos. Um, but it's still, uh, you know, it's still fun. Uh, I loved uh, like the Mark Irwin interview and his passion for Peterson pipes and listening to him talk about it. Uh, there's been a bunch of people that I think are really just kind of down-to-earth, regular, everyday pipe smokers, um, even people that collect pipe-smoking Santas. Anyway, going on, Reformed said, excellent show, thanks so much. You are welcome so much. And don't forget, new episodes posted every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you're just getting the show on iTunes now, uh, hit the subscribe button and you'll see there's another 120-something episodes that load in afterwards because it looks like iTunes is only showing you the last uh, the last 20 shows. And while you're on iTunes, please leave us a rating and a review would be wonderful as well. Follow me on Facebook and if you're on Facebook, like the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, everybody, whip out your selfie sticks. Rant time's coming up next. 
I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fullnoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fullnoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness deep flavor and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Trends come and trends go is what they say, and in the short time that the Pipes Magazine radio show has been on the air, yeah, 147 weeks, yeah, selfie sticks have come and gone. How do I know that? Because the first time I saw a selfie stick or something like that, and for those of you that don't know, a selfie stick is a thing that you attach your smartphone to, and you hold it up in front of you, and you take a picture of yourself instead of using your arm. Well, the first time I saw a selfie stick or something like that, it was called an iPole, and it was a pole that you attached your iPhone to. It was at the Nashville, uh, the, the Nashville Southern Fried Pipe Club show about uh, almost two years ago. It was the first time I saw one. Well, in the last couple of weeks now, Disney Parks, oops, got them in there again, uh, Disney Parks and several museums and a handful of large public places are now banning the use or possession of selfie sticks inside their premises. Now, here's what Disney says. Selfie sticks are fine, except they create a hazard when on a ride. Now, let me just say this. If you're dumb enough to put your mobile phone on a selfie stick while riding on Space Mountain and holding it out there, you deserve to get hit in the face with the stick, but you can't do it at Disney World because then they'd, you'd blame them for it. So, no more selfie sticks. Uh, selfie sticks are being banned from museums. Why? Because they're inappropriate. It's inappropriate to take a picture of yourself with the great Mona Lisa. Well, not the Mona Lisa. I don't know about the Louvre, but it's inappropriate. Now, one of the other arguments that I heard for banning selfie sticks, ha, you'll love this one. Uh, they're a perfect. Uh, they're they're a perfect tool for a gentleman to take improper pictures of a lady without her knowing it. Yeah, put that selfie stick in your pipe and smoke it, because apparently you can get pictures of the selfie stick. Now, I'll just say this. If you see somebody holding a selfie stick down, don't walk over them. All right, but anyway, the Pipes Magazine radio show has outlasted selfie sticks, and uh, it's all because of you guys. All because of you guys, the listeners, keeping us going week after week. So we'll wrap this one up. Thank you. Thanks to Steve for joining us. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company. And until next time. Okay.
the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Celebrity voices are impersonated. Of course they are. Do you think this little show could afford that as cheap as we are? Ha! 